Amen. Would you turn to the book of Philippians? You may have figured it out by now, but you're, you're here. You're here on the planet. You're here in the world, and you're not leaving for any time soon. Well, I don't know when you're leaving, but I do know that you're here right now, and there's something you're meant to do while you're here. Do you know the, the moment you got born again, Jesus... We Obviously, the moment we got born again, Jesus didn't just take us away or send us to some remote cave somewhere where we could be together and huddle together. He puts you in the middle of the world. In fact, when Jesus prayed, His prayer of, of the high priest, as He prayed in John 17, He said, they're in the world. He said, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but I ask that you would deliver them from the evil one. I ask that you would keep them from the evil one. So Jesus does not want you to leave and go and start your own group somewhere in the mountains of Montana. He doesn't want you to go and, and separate yourself from the world. He wants you to be right in the middle of it, but completely different, completely set apart. Isn't that a funny paradox that you can be completely in something and yet completely set apart from something? And so... As, as believers, we understand we've got a divine calling. We've got a divine purpose. We've been called. We've been set apart. We're made holy by the blood of Jesus. We're called saints in the New Testament. We're not called sinners saved by grace. We're called saints. We used to be sinners. Then we got saved by grace. Now we're saints. You've got to be okay with that. You've got to be confident with that because that is your deliverance. And so... As believers, you're in the world. You've got jobs. You've, I mean, some of you are still in school. Some of you, um, you know, maybe have been retired by now. But whoever we are, we're in the world. We're affecting people or people are affecting us. Way better if we're affecting people. Way better if we're letting God work through us. And in Philippians, we're going to look at uh, one section of Scripture and then we're going to skip on to the Old Testament. Um, but in Philippians chapter 2, And we're going to start in verse 12. I wish we had time to read everything in its complete context. Um, but you have a Bible, and I encourage you to do that on your own. Don't separate the Word from the rest of the Word. It flows together beautifully. So go home, take your Bible out, see how this fits in with the rest of the letter. Uh, but for sake of time, we're going to just cut this section out for right now. He says, So then, my beloved... Just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We understand, and we've said this before, it does not say work for your salvation. Because you can't do that, can you? There's no way you could work hard enough to earn salvation. There's no way you could do the right things to earn salvation. But it says work it out. What does that mean? Well, that means that there's a salvation within that needs to be worked out. Not only that, but, a, but a, a journey, a race has begun that has to be ran out, that has to be finished. So when we have this salvation inside of us, there is a working of it. It's already in here. But the goal of redeemed believers is to let what's in here work its way out here. See, you've been made a saint, right? That means holy one. There's no getting around that. You've been made a holy one. Well, what does the Scripture say? Since we've been made holy, let us live holy. Since we've been made righteous, let us walk righteously. So we, this is who you are. Now let it out. So he says, work out this salvation with fear and trembling. We understand that, that there is a fear... 
that the world may have of God that is not healthy is not of God. That is a terror that keeps you away from God. If you're scared of God, and you won't go near Him because you think of Him like an abusive father that's going to hit you, that is not the fear of God that the Scripture talks about. That's the fear of God. That's, that's the terror, the, the uh, timidity that, that the enemy has tried to put on. You know the fear of God because the fear of God is something that draws you to God, doesn't push you away from God. That's how you know it's Him. The fear of God is putting Him in His highest place. Is a reverence and an awe, a respect, yes. But even more than that, it's an awareness of Him at all times. You see, the Scripture talks about the fear of man. And if I came here in the fear of man, what would I do? It doesn't mean I'd be quivering, afraid that you'd throw things. But if I came up and started to preach and started to say the things that I thought everybody wanted me to say, that's called the fear of man. Because I'm concerned about their opinion. I'm concerned about what they're going to think. That's the fear of man. That's the awareness of man. But if I fear God, He's the only opinion that matters. It's it's such a blessing to be in a church where you can fear God and people still like you. (laughs) It is. I mean it. It is a blessing to be able to preach from the Word of God and people say, more, as opposed to, oh, I don't like that guy, you know? Uh, he doesn't tell enough stories. Not enough movie clips. You know, this is, this is good. <laughs> Nothing wrong with movie clips, praise the Lord. I just don't have any. Um, but it is such a blessing to be among people where you can preach in the fear of the Lord and, and still have people agree. But that's not always going to be the case. And so the fear of God is a constant awareness of Him, is a constant reverence and worship of Him in the sense that you're saying, He's the opinion that matters. He's the biggest thing in my life. I live my life not just for Him, but to Him, as the Scripture says. And guess what? If He likes it, it's good. If He doesn't like it, I'm not going to do it. This is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord also is is because you're so aware of Him and you highly honor and respect Him, you're not afraid of anything else. Because you're so aware that your God is mighty, is strong. In Psalm 112, and, and we may read that later, but it, it brilliantly shows us that the man who fears the Lord fears nothing. Isn't that the coolest thing? Now this is not like... See, this is obviously different than the world's fear. See, the world's fear, the Scripture says, perfect love casts out that kind of fear. The world's fear causes you to be afraid in every area. You ever notice somebody that's fearful about a couple of things? They tend to be fearful about a lot of things. They're paralyzed by fear. Whether it be the fear of death, whether it be the fear of heights, whether it be fear of whatever, there's usually more than one fear. Why? It works its way. But when you fear God, you fear nothing. The fear of God, you fear nothing else. The Scripture says you don't fear evil tidings. In fact, let's, let's hold our place in Philippians and just quickly read Psalm 112. And we won't, we won't tarry long there, but do you notice I use the word tarry? That's a Bible word. Nobody, nobody says that normally. <laughs> we say if the Lord tarries, and, and people in the world are like, what does that mean? And I'm sure that's got to be doubly confusing for you, Mr. Dimturco. If the Lord tarries. Psalm 112. We're just going to read straight through. 
Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in His commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in His house. It sounds like a good deal so far, doesn't it? And His righteousness endures forever. Light arises in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious and compassionate and righteous. It is well with the man who is gracious and lends, for he will maintain his cause in judgment. For he will never be shaken. Does this sound like a fearful man to you? No, this is the fear of God. It's a completely different thing. The fear of God causes you to never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. He will not fear evil tidings. His heart. See, do you hear that? He will not fear evil tidings. The man who fears the Lord does not fear evil tidings. You come and you tell him bad news, he's not for afraid. You come and you tell her a, a bad doctor's report, she's not, she's not cowed by that because the man who fears the Lord does not fear anything else. His heart is steadfast. Praise God. That's really cool. Trusting in the Lord. And that's the key, right? When you fear God, you trust. How many, I mean, can you just see the difference between what the enemy would have you fear God? The enemy wants distrust. The enemy would love you to, to not, never know what God's going to do and be so distrusting of Him that you're too afraid to ever go near Him. But that isn't the fear we're talking about. The fear we're talking about draws you near into His arms. This fear we're talking about, Hebrews says, causes you to draw boldly and confidently near to Him in the throne of grace. You walk with your head up high. You trust in the Lord. Verse 8. His heart is upheld. Do you like that? That means that somebody else is holding it up. His heart is upheld. He will not fear. Will not. Until He looks with satisfaction on His adversaries. He is given freely to the poor his righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted in honor. The wicked will see it and be vexed. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Back to Philippians. So this is what we're talking about. This is the kind of fear we're talking about, the fear of the Lord. This is the same fear of the Lord that says submit to each other in the fear of Christ. This is an honor and an awareness and a respect and a trust. It's all of these things. You're putting God big in your mind, big in your heart. Big in your thoughts, big in your home, big in your life. He's so big that everything else seems really small. So you don't fear it. You don't get swayed by it. But he says, work out this salvation with fear and trembling. So what's the trembling to do? Well, he's telling you that you've got a salvation which is within. Hebrews says that, that he says, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So great a salvation. I mean, if you had an idea of what you had in here, you might go around with a little bit of a tremor because it's so powerful. It is so big that he says, work it out with fear and trouble. In other words, with, with a constant attitude of worship, with a constant attitude of honor, with a constant attitude of, I can't believe... Well, I can believe it. He put this inside of me. I've got a treasure in an earthen vessel. And I'm working it out, knowing that the very same power that raised Christ from the dead is within me. Isn't that big? Oh, and I'm not just going to waste my life going around doing silly things because I've got this inside of me. Can you imagine when you walk down the street... 
I mean, I mean, some of you do deposits for your work. Some of you do a night deposit. I used to do a night deposit. And I remember around Christmas time, it'd be a big night deposit, a lot of cash. And I remember walking very carefully to my car and very carefully to the night deposit because I realized how much I had right here. Well, when you realize you've got so much of His great power, you've got everything He has to offer, and He's saying, use that in your life. Work it out in your life. You do that with fear and trembling. That's not the fear and trembling that causes you to be scared. Because Jesus said there was a man, when he told the parable of the talents, there was one servant who was so scared it paralyzed him. And he didn't do anything with it. That's the wrong kind of fear. This is so powerful, I don't need to do anything with it. It's so powerful, I don't trust myself to say it. It's so powerful, I don't trust myself to lay hands. No, 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 no. That's burying the talent. We're talking about Fear and trembling that causes you to trust. But you walk it out with such... You're like, this is so cool. Have you ever, you ever had that feeling? This is so cool. Brent, do you remember this? <laughs> you may be new here. Let me educate you on one of my partners in faith. When I was a teenager, one of my closest friends was Brent over here. And, and if, if anything was ever good... Brent, I hope you don't mind... If anything was ever good preached, Brent got it. Thank God for that. He was fun to have on the front row because if it was awesome, you heard this. (laughs) Man, you knew you were preaching when you heard that. One time we were driving to Sylvan Lake. We were driving to Sylvan Lake. We were going to have a good time. And we'd just been talking about the Lord, and we got quiet for a minute. And all of a sudden, I almost, I almost jumped out of my chair because all of a sudden, Brent, across, you know, sitting in the bucket seat next, all of a sudden reaches out and grabs my arm and goes, The Word, John, the Word! <laughs> that's all he said. The Word, John, the Word. So that's an evidence of somebody who is understanding... But there's a lot of power in this word. And all he could say is, the word, man, the word. And if you had been, if you had been an unbeliever, you might have been like, what word? What are we, is this Sesame Street? What are you talking about? But for me, it was cool. Of course, me being me, I'm like, what do you mean? Like, be more specific. Expand on that thought. But that was all that needed to be said out of Brent's mouth was the Word, man, the Word. Arms shaking. Really tight grip on my arm. (laughs) Thank God for friends like that. You need to get a couple. So, anyways, that's a a proper fear and trembling. For it is in verse 13. Here's why. Here's why you've got that fear and trembling. Here's why you have that, that awesome knowledge and awareness For it is God who is at work in you. That will wake you up, won't it? It is God who is at work in you. Both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It is God who is giving you the desire. And it is God who is fulfilling the desire within you. This is really cool. Because many of us will put our hands head down, our hand to the plow, and just do it because it needs to be done. But you know, God has promised 
that He can work within you to will to do the right thing. To will to do the things that please Him. If you're having trouble with the will to do it, you know that God is able to will, is able to work in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Do the things and to work for His good pleasure. Here's what it says. Verse 14, Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that... Boy, does that sound fun. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. You may know this, but anybody who desires to do anything for the Lord, you want to be a preacher, you want to be a musician, you want to be one of the best ushers around, you want to be a sound guy, there's all these things you could do. You want to be a prophet, you want to be an evangelist. There's all these things God may put in you to do, but all of those ministry assignments usually come with some time taking out the trash and washing dishes. You can't be a pastor without, without being willing to do a whole lot of other stuff. You can't be a servant without learning to serve and do things that you don't want to do because you wouldn't be a servant if you just did what you wanted to do all the time. That's not really a servant, is it? And so we learn to do all things without grumbling or complaining. And those aren't just the things that a Christian asks you to do. These are the things you're doing at your work. Why? Because when you're at your work, your working is under the Lord. You're not working for the boss, you're working for Jesus. And when you work for Jesus, you work harder. Because he's, His strength is in you, His grace is upon you, His love is in your heart, and you want to honor Him, so you work harder. But it says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach. Wow. You're so, you're so blameless in the eyes of the world. You're so um, true, sincere, pure, that you're above reproach. I mean, people could make up stories about you, but no one would believe it. Blameless and innocent, above children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Now, we know we live in a crooked and perverse generation, don't we? We know that the world is crooked, it's twisted, it's taken all the things that God created and twisted them. Love has been twisted by the world. Marriage has been twisted by the world. All of the things that God has designed for us, all of His things to provide for us, you know, His providence has been twisted by the world in degree. That, that basic joy that we have inside of us is twisted when it comes into the world. And you notice, to make somebody laugh these days, you have to be a little perverted to do it. Or even, or even our innate... You know, God gave you the sense of humor. God laughs. And I remember my father talking to me about, about the humor that changes in a renewed mind. He said, he said, I find myself laughing at kid jokes. He said, because, because I, I find myself becoming more innocent. That you don't need something to be twisted or perverse. You just, you just love life. And you love the Lord and, and, and you, you find joy in certain things. Well, you know, this is Knowledge, I mean, it could depress you, but you it shouldn't. 
You're in a crooked and perverse generation. But guess what? This is the good thing. Among whom you appear as lights in the world. Now, now that word light is, is not the kind of light like this, well, like, like a, well, let's just say like, a, like the moon is light. It's not, it's not something that's reflective. It's something that's producing light. Um, that's why in your column it might say luminary. It's something that's producing light. I believe uh, a couple other translations say stars. It's something that's producing light. Not just reflecting it. Not just carrying it. But actually being a producer of light. This is who you are. You, you appear as lights in the world. You're in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Blameless and innocent. So this means, guys, we're called to this culture. And no matter how bad the culture gets, no matter how bad the government gets, no matter how twisted society gets, we're here. We're not leaving. We're going to stay until Jesus returns and brings us home. We are going to stay as lights in the dark place, as straight people in a crooked place, as blameless and innocent in a perverse place. That's us. Now, Let's go to the book of Daniel. And I want to show you an example of the man, Daniel, who feared the Lord above all else, had no fear of man, neither he nor his friends were cowed or terrified by what the world could do to them. I'll give you a bit of background. Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, were from the province of Judah, which later became the kingdom of Judah. And uh, they were part of the uh, first wave of exiles. Babylon defeated Judah. Uh, there was a bit of a rebellion. And then they just said, you're, you're going to get kicked out of your land. We're bringing you all to Babylon, hoping to brainwash them, hoping to keep them from rebellion again by making them a part of their own society, by making them really low class in their society. So there was a first wave in which Daniel and his friends came out. There was a second wave, and guys like Ezekiel came in the second wave. And then there was a third wave where uh, Babylon finally came and destroyed the temple. Uh, so that's Daniel's in the first wave of exiles. Um, and so King Nebuchadnezzar takes the, the best and the brightest of the young men. From, from Judah, because if you have the young men, the smartest guys, the, the up-and-coming leaders, you prevent those leaders from rising against you later. You're going to take their best and brightest, bring them into your society, and so they won't be a problem for you later. So Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and a whole bunch of other young men from Judah are brought to Babylon. They're slaves, but they're treated fairly well because uh, Babylon wants to use them, wants to train them up, wants to convert them to the Babylonian way. This is an attempt to take what God has set apart and twist it and pervert it. This is an attempt to take young men that were called by God to be leaders in Judah and twist them into Babylonian men. Now the Babylonian way of thinking is very much like our worldly way of thinking. It doesn't depend on God. It exalts man. It does not worship the Creator. It worships the created. The Babylonian way of thinking is completely opposite to the way we think. And this is the way that the world thinks. 
It is a crooked and perverse generation. So what do you do? Do you take your family and go buy a boat and just go in international waters and live there? Or do you say, I've been placed in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which I appear as a light, as a star in a dark place. So Daniel is taken with his friends and several other youths. Sometimes we forget there were a whole bunch of other youths that came as well. But uh, there were only four that set themselves apart. That's the sad part. Anyways, they come. And um, in verse 3, then the king, this is Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youth in whom there was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered them to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Can you imagine having to learn the literature of a godless pagan people? Having to know. Now, their literature is very much based on their belief system. You've got to learn it. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and he appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now, when he says the king's choice food and wine, that's not just nice food. It's also food. They, they had a, a, a practice that even goes into the New Testament of offering the meat, the choice meat, the king's meat, would be offered to the idols first. It would be, you know... Uh, set apart for them. It would be devoted to them. So they would offer the meat to the idols and, and, and so the gods would bless it, you know, so that it would, uh, you'd be honoring the other gods. Well, you know, there's only one God. And when you're honoring these other gods, you're really honoring the other ones, the, the other side. You're honoring evil spirits. You're partaking with idolatry. And so to even drink, and, and the wine, same thing, wine was poured out on the altar. Uh, as a sacrifice to them. And so what they believed is when they ate their food and drank their wine, it was very much like our communion. It was communing with these idols. It was communing with these gods. What do you do if that's what you, they serve you? What do you do if that's what's in front of you? Food that's been sacrificed. Wine that's been poured out on the altar. So they offer him this, and it says, Now among... From, among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Their names were later changed as the Babylonians wished to twist. These are godly names that speak of God. But the Babylonians wished to twist them. Daniel's name means God is my judge. It gets changed to Belteshazzar, which means Baal, protect his life. You see how he takes this 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 name which exalts God, the one true God, and switches it to a name that exalts a false God. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, same thing. It takes a man, uh, you know, you have Michel, who is servant of God, or, uh, you know, and, and you've got uh, uh, Meshach. I mean, it's, it's changed to Meshach, or sorry, Michel means who is like God, and it just gets changed to Michel, or sorry, Meshach. I'm sorry, I'm getting all mixed, mixed up. It's Michel, who is like God, Meshach who is like a coup. You know, so they, they have these name changes which instead of exalting Jehovah, now exalt these pagan gods. So to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, 
Shidrach, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. This is very sad because Hananiah means the Lord shows grace. You've got Mishael, who is what God is. You've got Azariah, meaning the Lord helps. And they've now been twisted to exalt false gods. The conversion has begun, right? But Daniel made up his mind. And uh, in my column, it says literally that he set his, I'm sorry, in verse 8, he set upon his heart, he made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or the wine which he drank. One guy out of all of those men made up his mind, I will not defile myself. I will not defile myself. It may cost me my life. He doesn't know if they're going to spare him. They could kill him for something like this. But what's more important is what God thinks. I don't care what these people think. What does God think? I will not defile myself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. But you see, at the same time, guys, here's, here's an example for you who are in the world. You can be honoring, you can honor God without being a jerk about it. Without being one of those people that just is a thorn in your boss's side. You should be a blessing. So what happens? He seeks permission. How nice. He sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Daniel didn't just come out and say, You know what? Kill me if you want to kill me. But I'm not doing that. No, he says, I can show grace here. I can be a man of dignity. I can, I can, I can show them a degree of honor. And I can say... You know, I'm, le- I'm, I'm asking for permission. If they hadn't given permission, he might have had to go to the next level and say, well, you can, you can kill me, but I'm not going to do that. But he seeks permission that he might not defile himself. Now, God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. Do you notice that the favor and the compassion that's granted him comes after he makes up his mind that he's going to honor God? You say, give me the favor and compassion first. Let them be the ones to suggest to me that I don't have to do it. No, no, no. Here's the order. You step out in faith and God steps in. You see, God is there all the time. He's not just showing up when you step out in faith. But at the same time, when you step out in faith, you've just opened up your heart. You've opened up your will. You've opened up your life for Him to do His work. It says, God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king, so I have a fear of the king instead of a fear of God. I am afraid of the lord, my lord the king, who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths of your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. Okay, this must be real favor and compassion. He could lose his head. And he's still giving this guy a shot. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please, test your servants for ten days, and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. How many of you know you're not going to get real beefy with vegetables and water? It's before, there's no, there's no whey protein slipped into this water. There's no booster juice. There's no super vitamins that they're eating, just vegetables and water. That may be good, it may be, it may be healthy, but they're not getting any protein. They're, they're probably not getting all the nutrition, nutrients that they need. And yet, 
They're supposed to be strong and not haggard. They're not supposed to lose weight. So here's this is going to be fun. So, now, is it because they were vegetarians? No, they ate meat back at home, but their meat wasn't sacrificed to idols. So it wasn't about not eating meat. It was about not eating idolatrous meat. Big difference. So, then our appearance, let our appearance be observed in your presence and the pre- appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. Now, there are other youths eating the choice food. Where did these guys come from? They came from Judah just as well, didn't they? These are God's chosen people who said, easier to defile myself and not make the king mad. And then maybe ask the Lord for forgiveness later. He's a merciful God. (laughs) But the king is not a merciful man. So I'd rather tick God off. (laughs) Although... I'm not saying they ticked God off, but they didn't get to walk in His favor and compassion because they chose their own way. So I'd rather disobey the Lord and He'll forgive than disobey that man who might chop my head off. You're faced with these options all the time, guys. You're always faced with the option of, well, I'll just do it. You know, I'll just ask for forgiveness later, but that guy I can't ask forgiveness from. He'll be really mad. I know God is good. Well, God is good. God is forgiving. God is merciful. God is compassionate. That doesn't mean that you just say, well, I'd rather please that man than please God. Because now you've trained your life to follow the will and the desire of men. And guess what's going to happen? They're going to pervert you. They're going to twist you. God has designed you to live as a light in a perverse, crooked generation. You don't have to be twisted. You don't have to be perverted. Here's what it says. That these other choice youths were eating these things. And it says, verse 14, So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who'd been eating the king's choice food. And in this case, fatter is a good thing. You remember, these men were probably under siege before they came. They probably hadn't been eating that well. They get an opportunity to eat some nice meat, some nice food, king's choice food, and they turn it down. They'd rather serve the Lord that would rather obey God. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine which they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. Well, so they did what the Lord wanted them to do. They obeyed God. And you know, it, the interesting thing to me is that it doesn't say God said, Daniel, don't defile yourself. It says Daniel made up his mind. Sometimes we just, we just think if God doesn't speak out of the ceiling to us, and slap us across the head, then he must not care. But the Lord has put his spirit inside of you. He's put, this is the new covenant. I mean, in the old covenant, they had laws written on a book that they had to memorize. But he says these days, he's written his ways, his commands on your heart. And you've got his spirit. You know what's right and what's wrong. You say, well, if if the Lord sends the pastor to come and correct me, then I'll change. You know what? God trusts you enough. He, he, He respects you enough to expect from you that you would be a child of God that can hear from God and doesn't wait till somebody slaps you across the face to do something different. Daniel made up his own mind. God didn't 
as far as we know. God didn't enter into his room and choose him out of everybody and say, listen, you're going to be my guinea pig. No, Daniel just says, as for me, I won't defile myself. And these other three, they came along with him. Because when one man takes a stand, there's usually some that will follow. It just, But it takes the first guy. So, verse 17, As for these four youths, there are multitudes of Israelite Jewish young men who are in the king's court that God has, God has blessed throughout their life, they, that they knew His ways. They, they probably worshipped Him at the temple. They, they knew God. They knew what He had for them. They knew His plan. They knew His blessing on their life. And yet, there are four that chose not to defile themselves. And how many does it say that God gave knowledge and intelligence? Four. A whole bunch of youths from Judah. Four of them. God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Sometimes we act like God chose Daniel first. And then Daniel did what he did because God had already blessed him with all this wisdom. But God chose all of those men. God chose all those young men. They were his chosen people. Daniel was the one who said, I trust you. And those three other men said, we trust you too. And because they trusted God, because they feared the Lord, He gave them what they needed to survive and thrive in a crooked kingdom. He gave them wisdom in the knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge in all their literature. I mean, guys, they're having to learn a new language. And they're excelling. God's giving them Knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. You guys, you need to have wisdom, intelligence, understanding to do what God's called you to do. God has that for you. You put Him first. You honor the Lord. He honors you. You put Him first in your life. You ask Him what job you're supposed to have. You go in the, in the honor of God and the fear of the Lord. And you go wherever He tells you to go with confidence. And He'll give you what you need. But you've got to go His way. As Pastor Brownie said, you've got to go His way. These men chose God's way over the Babylonian way. And God made them the wisest, the smartest, the most adept, and Daniel even had understanding of all kinds of visions and dreams, which in Babylonian society just elevated you a little bit more. Of course, we know not long after that. Well, actually, let me just um, keep reading for a moment, then we'll skip ahead. Verse 18, Then at the end of the days which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Did you hear that? Not one was found like these men. The men who bucked the system, the men who went God's way, not one was found like them. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king was consulting them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in his realm. And Daniel continued unto the first year of Cyrus the king. This is God's plan for his people. To be better, 
to be wiser, to be smarter, not in your own strength. But in 1 Corinthians 1, it says he likes picking stupid people to make the smart people look dumb. He likes using people who didn't have much to offer and saying, look what I can do with a man who will submit to my will. Look what I can do with someone full of my spirit. You say that that guy is supposed to be better, but watch what I do with this person that you discounted, that society rejected. I can use. And as a church... This changes the way you look at everybody who comes in that back door. Because everybody that comes in, they may... I mean, if we judge them according to the flesh, we look at the way they walk. We look at the way they talk. You may look at what their haircut is like. Don't look at that stuff. Because God is going to use the people that society didn't think were worth anything. And He'll elevate them. In this case, Daniel already looked pretty good. He already looked pretty professional. He was picked because he was good looking and intelligent. And yet he didn't rest on that, did he? He trusted in the Lord. And as he trusted in the Lord, he was set apart from everyone else. We know that later those three friends of his kept their way. They, they, they didn't give in to the Babylonian way. When they were told to bow, they didn't bow. And the Lord kept them from the heat of the furnace. But Daniel himself, as you know further on, there was a purge coming. God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream. God gave him a couple of dreams, actually. It seems like, I guess it was one dream, but it had many parts to it. And Nebuchadnezzar has all these guys that are trained in dream telling, trained in interpretation. And he says, i got to know it's bugging me. Because God gave him this dream, so it's going to stick with you. And he goes, i got to know what this dream is. And, and he calls all his sorcerers, all his magicians, all his wise men in. And he says, tell me my dream and its interpretation. They say, will you tell us what the dream is, and we'll interpret it for you. He goes, that's not the deal. Tell me what I dreamed. <laughs> There's the test, right? <laughs> You got, I mean, I mean, I remember there was, well, never mind. But there, there were people, there are people even in the body of Christ that will say, I'll tell you what your dream means. I have a book that tells me everything what your dream means. I can tell you what this signifies and what this signifies. And, and next time that happens, if somebody comes to you like that, you just say, okay, tell me what I dreamed. <laughs> if you could tell me what I dreamed, I, then I'll let you tell me what it means. Because anybody can say, hmm, a cow, I, I think that signifies prosperity. And oh, you had a tree, well, that means covering and shade. And I mean, yeah, you can make something up. And these wise men know enough to make something up that's going to make the, the king sound good, right? You had a grim reaper try to chop you up? That means that you'll be multiplying and you'll be doing well. And that your descendants will spread across the world. Yes, that's what it means. I'll just tell you what you want to hear. This guy, he says, this dream is so weird, it's so sticking with me that I better know what it is. And I'm not taking your little advice. Tell me what it means. But first, tell me what it is. We can't do that, King. That's not fair. That's so change the rules. And he goes, uh, "Fine, I'm killing all the wise men in Babylon. I'm killing all the magicians, all the sorcerers." And I remember, 
Daniel and his crew are included in that of killing them all. So Daniel hears about this. One of the commanders that he's befriended comes to him and says, it's not going to be good. Everybody's going to die. Daniel says, wait, 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 wait. Let me go to him. And it says that Daniel and his friends, it says Daniel and his friends, they got together and they interceded. And it says as they interceded, as they prayed, God gave them the interpretation of the vision. And in fact, let me just read that for you real quick. In verse 16 of chapter 2. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So as Daniel does this, he goes and he tells the man his dream and he tells him what it means. And all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar is like the greatest believer for a little while. He goes through, he's a roller coaster guy. And he says, your God is awesome. I mean, everybody should worship this God. He's the coolest God ever. And, and he exalts Daniel. And Daniel gets some pretty high esteem from all of this. But He's still not taking it too seriously. Daniel's not saying, well, I'm a better man. He's saying, I serve a God who reveals mysteries. He says it straight to Nebuchadnezzar. He says, I serve a God who reveals mysteries. So God blesses him. We find out in chapter 3, we read about the golden image. But let's skip over to chapter 5. Daniel keeps on interpreting his visions. He's done well in it. And then Nebuchadnezzar uh, has... He goes through some things. We won't get into that now. I'm sorry, Eric. And we find out that there's another guy that comes along, and his name is Belshazzar. And Belshazzar has forgotten what kind of man Daniel was. He's forgotten the God that humbled Nebuchadnezzar. He's forgotten the God that interprets dreams. And they do something horrible. As they've destroyed the temple of Jerusalem, as they've plundered it, uh, they use... God's special silver and gold from the temple in his feast. And a Babylonian feast was a, was a dirty affair, very perverted. Now, can I ask you a question? Babylon's government is one of the most perverted governments the world has ever seen. Should Daniel work in that government? Apparently he should. You'd say, get another job, Daniel. Daniel goes, he works, and he actually works for the good of that government. This should help you when you're praying for your own government. Say, well, I'll pray for them, but I don't don't want them to succeed. It seems like Daniel and Joseph, they worked so that their government would succeed, even when it was wrong, and trusted that God would sort it out. So Daniel works for them. But then Belshazzar comes and he throws this disgusting feast and he uses holy items to do unholy things. And all of a sudden, this hand appears and begins to write on the wall, carving it into the wall. Like, I mean, I know we always picture like there's some sort of heavenly ink on the wall. I I don't picture it that way. I picture it like, like carving into the wall. 
And Pel- Belshazzar is freaking out. He's, he turns pale because he sees the back of the hand. And it's huge. He sees the back of the hand and he's freaked out. So he's, he's shaking. His knees are knocking together. This is, this is not fun for him. Uh, verse 6, Then the king's face grew pale, and his thoughts alarmed him, and his hip joints went slack, and his knees began knocking together. And the king called out about to bring in the conjurers, the Chaldeans and the diviners. And the king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, Any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me shall be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck and have authority as a third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His face grew even paler, and his nobles were perplexed. Then the queen entered the banquet hall because of the words the king and his nobles said. And the king spoke and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. Thank God for a wife that's got some sense. I mean, I know, I know what this is like. Every now and then I, 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 I start panicking about something and you, God brings your wife in and says, you know, don't get freaked out. It's all going to be good. And, and the wife comes in and says, there is a man in your kingdom who is a spirit of the holy gods. So that's all they know. They know that there's God's spirit. There's spirit of gods in this guy. They don't know there's one God, and he's got that spirit. You see, in the Old Covenant, there was no indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but you were moved by the Holy Spirit. Peter says in those days, the prophets, he said, no prophecy is a matter of one's own personal interpretation, but men moved by the Spirit of God spoke. So you could be moved by the Spirit of God. The Spirit could rest on you, empower you. And Daniel was a man who yielded to that spirit all the time. And so he's got the Spirit of God speaking through him. And everybody recognizes it. Whom is a Spirit, in whom is a Spirit of the Holy Gods. And in the days of your Father, illumination, insight, and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And in King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. This was because an extraordinary spirit now, in the King James, it says an excellent spirit. This is, this is what Daniel had, an extraordinary spirit. Well, what in the world does that mean? You see, because <laughs> in the King James, it says excellent spirit. You may have asked yourself, and I've heard it taught, that this was just, he just had a spirit of excellence. In other words, and, and we've, we've dumbed down spirit of excellence to be like, you clean up and you sweep and you vacuum the floors. That's a spirit of excellence. But Daniel had an extraordinary spirit. You may have grown up thinking that this was just he just chose to live a better life. Or you may have grown up thinking that God just picked him out of everybody else. But we're beginning to see that Daniel's extraordinary spirit was actually the influence of the Holy Spirit that he yielded to and honored. And because he honored the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit worked through him and on him. It wasn't that God just picked him out of everybody else. It was that Daniel picked God. That's what you see. You don't see God picking Daniel over everyone else. You see in the first chapter, Daniel choosing the Lord. 
And because, he cho- because God is offering to everybody. He's calling out. He's crying out. Who wants it? Who wants a drink? Come. Who wants a feast? Come. You want wisdom? Come. This is what God is saying. He calls to all and says, come here. God is not picking and choosing His favorites. He's saying, you come, choose Me. I will bless you. I will give you wisdom. I'll give you understanding. Anything you need, you've got. You just choose Me. This is what happens. He has an extraordinary spirit, knowledge and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas and solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now Daniel now be summoned. Let Daniel now be summoned and he will declare the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king and the king spoke and said, Daniel, are you that Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah whom my father the king brought from Judah? Now I have heard about you that a spirit of the gods is in you. What spirit are we talking about? The Holy Spirit. He's not filled with the Holy Spirit because that ability was given to New Testament Christians. But he has that Holy Spirit on him. And that illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom have been found in you. Just now, the wise men and the conjurers were brought in before me that they might read this inscription and make its interpretation known to me. But they could not declare the interpretation of the message. But I personally have heard about you, that you were able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. Now, if you're able to read the inscription and make its interpretation known to me, you will be clothed with purple. And, and now see, to us, that's not really cool. Clothed, but really? Do I have to? You know, but that means nobility. That means you're going to be elevated to noble status. I give you the finest clothes, finest status that we have. You'll be clothed with purple. You will be clothed with purple and wear a necklace of gold around your neck, and you will have authority as the third ruler of the kingdom. Now listen to this. Here's a man that fears the Lord. Want to know what his answer is? (laughs) I love his answer. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Keep your gifts for yourself. Or give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make the interpretation known to him. You see, a man who fears the Lord can't be bribed. Can't be bought. What did the king want? The king wanted to buy Daniel's gift. You can't buy this. We fear the Lord. It's like Abraham said. If I take your money, you're going to say you made me rich. God made me rich. I'm not going to take anything from you. This is the attitude of a believer. We know that we're going to be elevated wherever we go. Guys, your jobs are waiting for you to realize what a treasure you have. Your bosses, they need someone like you. Say, I'm not near as smart as Daniel. Daniel wasn't as smart as Daniel. (laughs) What did he say? When he needed wisdom, what did he do? He said, let me look at my journal, see what I've written down in my wise moments. Let me sit in my thinking chair. No. He and his friends got together and prayed and said, God, give us wisdom. When's the last time you did that? Your boss comes to you, brings a difficult problem, you go, oh, no. What if you just said, let me pray about it? Your boss looks at you like, come on. God doesn't know anything about fixing tractors. You go, let me pray about it. That's right, he does. he He can create you. He can fix a tractor and so we come and and just say let me pray about it 
Or you know what? If you if you just say, I mean, if you just say it's best for me to just go and pray it, I won't tell them I'm praying about it, but I'll come back with the answer. It's up to you. You just you be led by the Spirit. But the point is, you seek God for the wisdom. He's willing to give you the wisdom. But you can't let yourself be twisted to think like the world, to go for the same goals they have. They want the riches. They want the fame. That's what they're after. That doesn't matter to you. You'll get whatever riches you need to have because you serve the Lord. You'll get whatever. He, he'll exalt you if you humble yourself in the, under the mighty hand of God. Don't worry about what they do for you. Worry about God. Don't worry about God. Serve God, love Him, honor Him, fear the Lord. You won't be afraid of anything else. You can't be bought, you can't be swayed. You don't work for them, you work for Jesus. This guy, he says, keep your money. Keep your gold. Give your rewards to someone else. But I'll let you know the interpretation, because you need to hear it. He tells them, <laughs> and guess what? If you, fear, if you fear man, you would have said something the king would have liked. But he tells the king, this is your last night in office, buddy. There's another kingdom coming. They're at the gates right now. Does it take guts to say something like that? It does. But he says it. A new empire comes in, Persians and Medes. Darius is the king after that. And in a new empire, Daniel keeps his job. Isn't that weird? Hostile takeover, he's still in office. Chapter 6. Verse 1. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom. These are little governors. That they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them three commissioners. So three commissioners over all the governors. Whom Daniel was one. That these satraps might be accountable to them. And that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps. Because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. Isn't that awesome? He distinguished himself because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Praise the Lord. We have a winner. We've all of a sudden seen a man who didn't even have the same Holy Spirit filling him that you have. He just had that Spirit working on him and through him. He didn't have the same advantages you had. And yet this man was elevated to the highest of office because of that extraordinary Spirit. Now many people will tell you, well, that excellent Spirit, some people have it, some people don't. That's not true. I mean, it is true that some people have it, some people don't. But don't buy into the thought that some people are just chosen by God and some aren't. This, this is a man who made up his mind at the beginning not to defile himself. And everything came after that. As he honored the Lord, God honored him. You see later in this story that they can't find any laws that he's breaking, so they have to make one up. And the only law they know he's going to break is you're not allowed to pray. Because this man is well known. Three times a day, he gets in front of his window and he prays. <laughs> oh God, if I had an extraordinary spirit, if I had an excellent spirit, I could do what Daniel did. If you did what Daniel did, maybe you'd have an extraordinary spirit. 
The Lord is not holding anything back from you. In fact, you've been filled with that Spirit. And what I'm asking you to do this morning is to trust the Lord that He will keep you straight in a perverse generation, that He will keep your light in a dark generation, that He will keep you from being crooked like they're crooked, that you can be different and honor the Lord. And as you honor the Lord, He honors you. He will give you favor. He'll give you compassion. He'll give you intelligence, wisdom, whatever you need. You honor Him. We're going to close it up with this. I want to read you something from Isaiah 11. If you want to turn there, you sure can. We're going to read it quick, but I want, I want to show you what kind of spirit you have. That's that extraordinary spirit. That is the Holy Spirit which is in you. In Isaiah 11, it speaks of Jesus Christ and the spirit that is going to rest on Him as the Messiah, the branch. And it says in verse 2 of chapter 11, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on Him. The Spirit of Wisdom and understanding. So the Spirit of the Lord is a spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and strength. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That's how we started, isn't it? Fear the Lord. And He will delight in the fear of the Lord. And He will not judge by what His eyes see, nor make a decision by what His ears hear. We're going to stop there. Isn't that awesome? This is the Spirit you have. You've been given a spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and strength, knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You'll delight in the fear of the Lord. You know, if the fear of the Lord was a bad thing, it would be impossible to delight in it. But this is a good thing. This is a wonderful thing. Oh, you've been given such a great treasure. You've been given such a great salvation. Would you, would you work it out? Would you, would you let that... Don't keep it hidden in your heart. Let it out. Let what you've been given out. But you know, this is going to take choices, guys. God wants to elevate you in your position. God wants to bring you favor wherever you are. He wants to bless you in the place that He's called you. But you've got to make up your mind not to be defiled. What does that mean? That means the world's going to do all they can to make you like them. You're not like them. You are a peculiar people. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. Guys, if you're, if you're whether or not you fit, consider yourself a loser or a winner, let's all say we can be winners with the Spirit of God which is in us. He's given you an extraordinary spirit. If you will rely and honor the Spirit of the Lord, make that, make that the thing you listen to, the voice you hear. Man, He's going to exalt you. I really believe this. There are people in this room, and you've more than likely there are some that have already stepped into some of these things, most of these things. There are some of you who may think, I'm not qualified for anything. I'm not very talented. I'm not very smart. I don't know what I can do. Don't you know God can elevate you? He can give you all the wisdom you need. He can give you all the ability you need. But you must first honor the Lord. Honor Him. Go His way. Listen to the voice of that Spirit inside of you. You're going to be elevated. You're going to be brought to the place He wants you to be. Would you stand up?